Mark chapter 9, verses 1 to 13. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before him, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good that we're here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them, but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, Why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come, first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. Sometimes we Christians speak a language that nobody else seems to really understand. Um, Let's call it Christianese. And if you've been in churches for 10 or 20 years or more, you might be quite fluent in Christianese and know what all of these words, special words and phrases mean. But for anybody who's only been a Christian for a little while, or if they've come from another country and they mightn't be very familiar at all about some of our Christianese terms and be wondering what on earth are you lot talking about? Well, one common Christianese phrase that we do use quite often is the phrase mountaintop experiences. Now, who knows what I mean when I use that phrase and say mountaintop experiences? Some of you do, some of you are not so sure. All right, let me explain it. As we read the scriptures, both in the New Testament and in the Old Testament, it amazes me the number of times that when somebody has an amazing experience of God, something which is life-changing, and sometimes it might be something which has significance historically as well, not just for that one person, but it's something which will affect generations to come. It amazes me how often these sorts of experiences happen up on a mountain, right? So, for example, when God told Abraham to go and sacrifice his son Isaac, God met Abraham up on Mount Moriah. And there on Mount Moriah, God provided a ram for the sacrifice instead of Isaac. And that was the day that Abraham really experienced that God is the God who provides. Then there's the burning bush incident when God met Moses and God revealed his personal name to Moses and and God revealed his plan to Moses that he was going to deliver his people from, from Egypt. And that happened 
at Mount Horeb. Then at Mount Sinai, God met Moses again. This time he gave him the Ten Commandments. On Mount Carmel, the prophet Elijah challenged the prophets of Baal to a contest to see which God could demonstrate his power and light up the sacrifice that was, been on, that was put on the altar. And of course, guess who won? God won. And the prophets of Baal didn't only come out of it looking decidedly foolish, they actually died. And then there was another mountain where the Lord spoke to Elijah with a still, small voice. All of these things happened up on mountaintops. But it's not only in the Old Testament where God meets people up on the mountain. Um, Jesus often went up to a mountain to pray. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus gave some of his most significant teaching up on a mountain. Anyone know what it is? What we now know as the Sermon on the Mount. In the Gospel of Mark, Jesus appointed his 12 apostles up on a mountain. He called them earlier down around the regions of Galilee and whatnot, but he had all of these people following him. And out of all of these people following him, he designated 12 of them to be his apostles. And that happened up on a mountain. After his resurrection, Jesus gave the great commission, go into all of the world. Where did he do that? Up on a mountain. And of course, the transfiguration that we're studying today happened up on a high mountain. When, when God reveals himself in, in truly significant ways, it often happens up on a mountain. And that is why we have the Christianese term mountaintop experiences. But here's the thing. Mountaintop experiences don't necessarily describe something that happened up a mountain. They actually don't depend on our altitude at all. They describe moments, God incidences, where we have encountered God in very significant ways. There are times when we've experienced the grace and mercy of God. The times when we've experienced the provision of God. The times when God has challenged us and he's pointed us in a new direction, maybe a new direction in obedience, maybe a new direction in faith, maybe a new direction in service or a new direction in ministry, or maybe he's given us a new commitment to righteousness. Mountaintop experiences are times where God speaks to us and we listen and we hear him. He might speak to us through his word. He might speak to us through a preacher or through an evangelist or, or might it be in a significant time of prayer when God speaks to us. And we've had this overwhelming sense that we have truly encountered the living God. Mountaintop experiences are wonderful they are just amazing things. They, they strengthen our faith and they move us along in our walk with God. When you have a mountaintop experience, you cannot remain the same. God changes something deep inside of us and we'll never be the same again. It's a pity, really, we live in St. George. No mountains around here, is there, eh? In fact, I, I was thinking about this and I was wondering, is there any place that's flatter? I mean, our elevation here, we are 200 metres above sea level 
And it took a bit of um, getting distances of rivers and adding them all together, but our river flows approximately 2,800 kilometres before it gets to the sea. Right, so if you do the maths on that, that gives us an average grade of 0.007% fall. That is not much of a fall. Now, to put that in terms to help you try and understand, if I think back to the days when I used to, to uh, operate laser buckets, my understanding is for irrigation, for nice grade for that, the minimum you're looking for is about 0.1%. Is that right, Scott? About the minimum? About 0.1%? Yep. And so that is about 15 times steeper than, than our grade that we've got for, to get our river to the sea. Things are really flat here. If you want to visit a mountain, I had a quick look at the map, and to get to a small mountain, you've got to go about 200 kilometres. Uh, to get to a more decent mountain, you'd probably have to go to the Bunyas, which is 350 kilometres away, where you can visit Mount Kiangaro. And I used to live in Dolby, so I know it's around about 1,100 metres high, which by world terms isn't much of a mountain. But for us, it's enormous. But if you want a bigger one, same distance about, you can go down to Mount Kapitar, 1,489 metres. I had to look that one up. But, but the thing is, mountaintop experiences aren't limited to mountaintops. You, you can't just have the attitude, well, God's not going to do anything for me here. Oh, how am I going to encounter God here? I've got to go somewhere else. You know, sometimes we think we've got to go somewhere else to meet with God. The thing is, God is the God of the valley and he's the God of the plain and he's the God of the mountain. Uh, King Ben-Hadad knows all about that. Um, if you've ever read 1 Kings chapter 20, you would have heard this story. Ben-Hadad had it in for Israel and he attacks Israel. And of course, Lord, the Lord gave Israel the victory. And so King Ben-Hadad goes back home again with his tail between his legs, but he wants to have another go at it again next year. And so he's planning to, to campaign again in, in Israel and try and beat them this time. And his commanders, his generals are there encouraging him along. He goes, and they say, you know what? Those Israelite gods, they must be the god of the hills. That's where we got it wrong. We tried to fight them in the hills. Next time, we'll fight them on the plains. That'll get them. Uh, but of course, he learned the hard way that the Lord our God is not just the god of the hills. He's the god of the plains as well because he's the God of the universe. So the Christianese term we use, mountaintop experiences, it's just a metaphor. It's a metaphor for when we have an amazing personal encounter with the living God. So what do we need to know about mountaintop experiences? Firstly, a true mountaintop experience is something that God initiates. You can't just decide for yourself, I'm going to have a mountaintop experience today and set it up and go, and, voila, it's happening. You can't do that. And as a pastor, I can't say, oh, I'm going to give our church a mountaintop experience today where everybody's going to really meet God because I'm going to organise it. It just doesn't happen, does it? A mountaintop experience is something that God initiates. At the Transfiguration, it was Jesus who led Peter, James and John up onto the mountain. Now, 
I don't think there'd be too many of us here who don't want to have an amazing experience of God, is there? Put your hand up if you don't want to have an amazing experience of God. That's always easier because it's hard to get you guys to put your hands up at, the, at any time. But let's try this. Put your hand up if you do really want an amazing experience of God. Excellent. Excellent. Whew, it's worth it. Um, but a very real temptation for church leaders, worship leaders, camp leaders, or whatever, is to try and orchestrate one. Uh, I call these moments of very carefully planned spontaneity. The temptation is ever before us to very carefully plan and organise for a seemingly spontaneous moment to occur where, where, where God will be present and everybody here will have a significant mountaintop experience with God. The reality is we can't plan for these things. And we shouldn't try to plan for these things. This is something that God does. But of course, that doesn't mean that God won't show up and that God doesn't initiate mountaintop experiences in, for people in the midst of something that has been planned. Because God can do whatever he likes. And sometimes God does an amazing work in people's lives despite all of our fumbling attempts to try and orchestrate it. Um, and I'm certain that many of us here have experienced some significant God moments where, where in the midst of an event, God has taken the initiative and he's made himself known, right? So God is the one who initiates mountaintop experiences, not us. But there is something we do have to do. In order to have a mountaintop experience, we do need to make ourselves available to God and follow his leading. Jesus called his disciples and they followed. And then he says, you three come up with me. And they did. Moses, well, he could have just kept on looking for his lost sheep, but he didn't. He approached the burning bush. When the Lord told the prophet Elijah to show himself to the wicked King Ahab, um, by the way, King Ahab, he was really trying hard to kill the prophet Elijah. He, he had a contract out on him and, and the prophet Elijah wasn't safe anywhere he went in the kingdom because anybody could dob him in. And it would have been so easy for Elijah to say, yeah, no thanks God, um, I think I'll just take the safe option this time. But he didn't. And he ended up on top of Mount Carmel and there God did his tru this truly amazing thing. Do you know what I reckon is the biggest barrier today for us having a mountaintop experience, busyness and a reluctance to follow God's leading. It's as simple as that. Don't we tend to just fill our lives up with so much activity and so many commitments, we just don't have time to encounter God in significant ways anymore. Does anybody think that that's describing their life? way too often it does you think about it if God said to you today I want you to go out into the bush sit on the riverbank and I'm going to meet you there you just wait and I'll meet you there and if God doesn't specify what time you know like an hour or 
a day or a week or 40 days. If we've got an unspecified time limit, if we're just, God says, just go there and wait for me and I'm going to turn up, would you do it? Would you be in a, in a position where you felt you could do it? To have a mountaintop experience, we actually need to make ourselves available. And sometimes God can be saying to us, and we can have this immense feeling that I actually need to spend some time with God now. But we put it off because, oh, I've got other commitments. What about if we actually went with that and went, okay, Lord, I'm going to take some time off and go and do that. Thirdly, most often a mountaintop experience will usually happen either when we're on our own or when we're in a very small group. Uh, Jesus left most of his disciples behind. And when they climbed that mountain, he only took three of them with him, Peter, James and John. Now, in my experience as a pastor, a lot of people want to tell me about their mountaintop experiences and and I love hearing about them. But often they'll describe to me some kind of massive Christian rally that they attended or a gathering of thousands or maybe a gathering of tens of thousands of Christians. And they tell me about the amazing atmosphere and the fantastic music and the, the amazing experience of gathered worship and the phenomenal speakers that they had to listen to. Now, don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with these events. These can be amazing times. But I would suggest that sometimes we confuse an atmosphere of euphoria. And, and it may even be an atmosphere of pure spiritual delight, which is a great thing. But we can confuse that with a mountaintop experience. We confuse the gathering of the people with the actual meeting one-on-one -on -one with God. And I would encourage you to seek God when you're alone, to seek him in a place of solitude. Maybe you might be in a, in a place of, of deep need. Maybe you might be at a crossroads in your life. You might be, it might be in a moment of complete despair or a time where you just don't know what to do. Meet God in those places. Those are the times where we have significant um, meetings with God. Meetings that will change our lives and will never be the same again. We need to stop trying to generate mountaintop experiences with atmosphere and amazing productions and amazing people and seek God. Seek God in the quiet and listen. Which brings us to our fourth point. Never expect that your mountaintop experience is something that everybody else has to have too. Imagine if Moses came back down from the mountain after having the burning bush and he goes into the land of Egypt and he says to people there, wow, God gave me a burning bush and he spoke to me in that burning bush. It's your turn now. You need to go out, go up, that, go up a mountain and you, it's your turn to have your burning bush. And then imagine if, if Moses' brother Aaron got all upset 
How come Moses got a burning bush? Where's my burning bush? How come God hasn't given me a burning bush? You see, the burning bush, that was Moses' experience. It wasn't for anybody else. So why is it that when you or I have an amazing experience of God ourselves, so often all of a sudden we feel, oh, everyone else is missing out. Everybody else has got to experience the same thing that I've just experienced. (sighs) Why do we feel that? So, for example, somebody might go away on a youth camp or to a church conference, or they might have some kind of spiritual pilgrimage, or they go on a spiritual retreat. Maybe they might have climbed a literal mountain all on their own and spent a week with God, whatever it was. And they've had an amazing experience of God, and now they feel, you lot are missing out. You've got to do that yourself. Your walk with God is not complete until you've experienced what I've experienced. Never expect that your mountaintop experience is something that others have to have too. Similar to this, we need to be careful that our close encounter with God doesn't for us become a thing of pride. We've got to make sure that we don't begin to assume or seek an elevation in spiritual status. Oh, I've had this amazing experience of God, therefore I'm more spiritual now and everybody else is going to have to catch up. You know, before we get to the end of chapter 9 of Mark, right, we're in chapter 9 now, before we get to the end of the chapter, we're going to see how the disciples are too embarrassed to even admit to Jesus what they've been talking about. You know why? Because they've been chatting about which one of them's the greatest. And then into chapter 10, James and John, two of the three who went up the mountaintop with Jesus, are going to be asking Jesus, Jesus, when you come in glory, can we be your top dogs? Can can one of us be on your left and the other one be on your right? You know, if I've had an amazing encounter with God, that should not lead me to assume that I'm more spiritual than anybody else or that I'm more important or that I'm more authoritative than anybody else. If anything, we should be deeply humbled deeply humbled that God has chosen to give us this experience of him. Sixthly, mountaintop experiences are very often terrifying. And not just because you're scared of heights. Some people, you might have seen some of those photos there on that rock and stuff and gone, whew, wouldn't want to stand up there. No, no. Sometimes the ex- a mountaintop experience like we're talking about can be terrifying. We could see it in Peter's reaction. Oh, it's really good to be here. Uh, let, let me put up three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Why was he talking that nonsense? Well, it tells us. Because he was terrified. He was afraid. And let me tell you, when you next have a mountaintop experience with God, don't be surprised if you're terrified. See, a mountaintop experience is often the time when the Lord will call you to go where you don't want to go. He'll ask you to give up something that you don't want to give up. 
He'll ask you to serve him how you don't want to serve. He'll ask you to forgive the person who's the last person you want to forgive and to surrender the possessions that you do not want to surrender. He'll be telling you to repent of the sin that you want to continue in. And he'll be challenging you to follow the path of suffering for the sake of the gospel. What God reveals and what God asks of us can be absolutely terrifying. But it's not only what God calls us to do that can be terrifying. It can be the very presence of God himself. You know, the, the popular feel-good teaching of today always assures us, oh, you can stand in confidence before the awesome, holy, living God. Really? You reckon you can? Let me tell you, that's not the experience of those who have done it. For example, in the book of the Revelation, the Apostle John records what happened when he had a vision of Jesus. He said, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. But then Jesus reached out and he put his right hand on him and said, don't be afraid. Now it is true. In Jesus Christ, we don't need to be afraid to encounter God. But until we have that reassuring word and touch of Jesus in person, that the natural human reaction is always to fall down in terror. You'll see it every time where somebody encounters God, they fall down in the presence of God. But, and this is really important, even though our initial response is probably going to be one of terror, a true mountaintop experience always leaves us with a greater understanding of who Jesus is and how we should respond to him. Now, up until this moment in the Gospel of Mark, the disciples, they seem to be bumbling along, wondering who this Jesus bloke is. And by now, as we've been working our way through it, if you've been paying attention, you should start to be feeling, why haven't these blokes got it yet? I mean, Jesus keeps doing these amazing things. Why do they still not get it? That's what's been happening up until now. And then just before they go up on the mountain, a revelation has happened. Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ. Ta-da, we've got it, you're the Christ. But then he starts revealing to them what it means for him to be the Christ. And when Moses, Elijah and Jesus were all together, it seems like Peter at that stage was still seeing them on a par with Jesus. He's saying, right, let's make three tents, one for each of you. He's sort of putting them all on a level playing field. But at that point, the voice of God came out of the cloud and he says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Well, which one of the three is it? Is it Moses? Is it Elijah? Or is it Jesus? And Peter looks around and there was no Moses. He was gone. And there was no Elijah. He was gone. Just Jesus. What did Peter, James and John learn? You know, it's hard for us to get this because we know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. But for them, they're discovering it in little stages as they go. 
So they know that he's the Christ, but they are they know that he's the Son of God. Wow. How should one respond to the Son of God? You listen to him. And of course, that doesn't mean we just hear what Jesus has to say and then disregard it. That doesn't mean that we just hear what Jesus has to say and then we'll pick and choose the little bits that we're happy to obey. To listen to Jesus means to listen to him and to obey him. Right, we're up to point number eight. We're getting there now. When you've experienced the extraordinary, it's very easy to become dissatisfied with normality. Compared to a mountaintop experience, the, the normal life of being a disciple of Jesus can seem to be very ho-hum. And the temptation is to either stay up on the mountain or to do mountain hopping, go from mountain to mountain to mountain, always chasing after another mountaintop experience. And that's what some people try to do. They try to get some kind of mountaintop experience and, and then go on to the next one, always trying to get the next one. You see, our generation, we live in a consumer culture. And sadly, even Christians begin to see church and begin to see our walk with God as something that is provided for us to consume. And we're never satisfied. We're always chasing after more. And so simple worship isn't enough anymore because, hey, I've gone away and I've experienced concert quality worship atmosphere of world standards. And now I want that to be provided in my little town. And if that church can't provide it, I'll find another one that does. We, we might hear a renowned international speaker, somebody who tours the world conventions and, and they've captured me, captivated me with, with their charisma and their engaging style and somehow the simple local preachers, they just don't cut it for me anymore. And we can become like spiritual junkies. We're always looking for the next spiritual high. And where our whole spiritual existence can be summed up with a constant quest for that next spiritual high. But the fact is, God does not intend us to live up on the mountaintop. We actually need to come down into the mountain, come down from the mountain. He'll often have us down in those deep, dark valleys. You know, when, when Peter, James and John came down from that mountaintop experience, boy, oh boy, didn't Jesus bring them down to earth quick smart. On the way down, he starts talking about how he's going to be crucified. He's going to die. We don't live up on the mountain. We don't live on a constant high. And if you're trying to organise such that your, your walk with Jesus is always going to be up on top of a mountain, you're going to be left behind. Because Jesus leads us up a mountain for a moment and then he leads us back down again, back down into the valleys. And if we want to stay up on that mountain, we're going to be left behind. 
because he always leads us back down to that place where there's ministry and when there's service, along with all of its challenges and difficulties and all of its troubles. He's going to lead us down into that valley where there's times of sickness and persecutions and all of the unsureness of what does God want me want to do? Have we come down away from God? No. He's led us there and that's where we meet with him. And we can even have that mountaintop experience where we experience God in a whole new way in that deep, dark valley. So, we might have to come back down to earth again, but something a mountaintop experience does for us is it prepares us for the tough times. This mountaintop experience with Jesus and those three disciples, it marks the beginning of Jesus' journey to the cross. Up until now, Jesus has been circulating around the regions of Galilee. He's now the furthest north that you can get and still be in Israel. And now he's about to begin the journey south to the cross. God meets us up on the mountain and he gives us what we need to increase our faith. And then in faith, we journey on on that difficult path of being a disciple of Jesus. Be of no doubt, it is a difficult path. But those mountaintop experiences that we have, it, it empowers us and it supercharges our faith because we've experienced God and we know that he's going to be with us no matter where. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the extraordinary. We want to thank you for the times when we have encountered you in that quiet, lonely place. We thank you for the times that over the years you have built our faith. And Lord, I want to pray that you will take the initiative and that when you do this, that we would immediately recognise that you are at work and you are leading us to a meeting of spiritual significance. And Lord, make it that we would not let anything stop us from following you on up that mountain. Lord, we eagerly desire to encounter you on the mountaintop. But Lord, don't ever let us become so caught up in the mountain that we become mountaintop junkies, always looking for the next fix. Lord, give us the encounter of you that we need, that which we need to build our faith so that we can follow you with commitment and resolve. In the normality of life, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.